Hello and welcome back once again to Dave and Marlo, a Blazer's Edge podcast. We are on episode 7. It should have been episode 8, but... Last week, we recorded on Thursday or wanted to, and there was this inconvenient little thing called Thanksgiving, and everybody had families and various other things to do. So we decided, since the Blazers were in the middle of a losing streak, to let them simmer a little bit to see if things wouldn't get better before we actually recorded our episode. And guess what? They did not. Last time Marlo Ferguson and I talked, the Blazers were 10 and 4, and everything was looking amazing. And now, eight games later, they've lost seven of those eight. They are 11 and 11. And Marlo, well, first of all, welcome back. Second of all, what happened? What do you see is going on that would explain this seven of eight losing streak? I'm glad you said it. It's seven losses in eight games. Uh, they're just they're looking like a team that's that's playing with a star player, having to adjust to that. Uh, but like I said, I'm not ready to give up on the give up on the team just yet. Eleven of fifteen on the road in their last fifteen games. Um, they played the toughest schedule in the NBA to this point. So you know they can get the ball rolling again. I think we'll have a, a better a better outlook on this team in, in, in mid December, late December if they can get it right. Yeah, I tend to agree. Now, I'm the last one to explain away stuff. I, I you know. If you would ask me when they were 10 and 4, are they legitimately a 10 and 4 team or is that ratio of wins to losses going to continue through the whole season? I would have told you probably not. But this is an awfully steep decline. And I think you hit it right on the head. I've said it a few times on site. They're playing without Damian Lillard. And every time you want to bring up something else as an explanation, you need to remember they're playing without Dame. Uh, as longtime listeners know, uh, in my day, job. I am a pastor. And COVID-19 hit churches really hard. Uh, many of us were closed for two years. That was completely unprecedented. When we came back and opened up, it's not like the floodgates opened. A lot of people have gotten out of the habit of going. A lot of it was a referendum on us. You know what? You didn't have something that makes us rush back. Whatever the experience was, wasn't germane enough or important enough to cause us to return without further convincing. So long story short, you know, a lot of churches churches are, are half full or a third full uh, compared to what they were pre-pandemic. And inevitably, after everybody spends the two weeks, you know, after the pandemic back and greeting each other, they start to look for reasons. Well, maybe we're not singing the right song. Well, maybe it's the pastor's fault. Well, maybe it's doing this or we used to do that or whatever. And it's like, hello, it's the pandemic. Hello, it's completely unprecedented, and there's nothing you could have done about it or can do about it now. And if you start fixing all those other things, you might make some incremental change. But probably the real explanation is we were gone for two years and we need to build back from scratch rather than to expect things to go along just as they normally would. It's the same with the Trailblazers right now. If Damian Lillard is out, that is your pandemic of the roster and you can tinker with whatever you want. Otherwise it's still not going to be the same. You need to pretend you just started from ground zero and start building back to relevance and goodness. It's not going to happen because you make a quick fix or a quick substitution. I hate that you got, Oh man, it's tough that you bring that up because of the fact that this Blazers team was, they were like, they hadn't played together for a while before that, you know, before this year started, we were, you know, kind of skeptical about how we look with Lillard and Simons together. And just as it's starting to get together, you know, you get an injury that comes in there. So I'm kind of worried about them picking up steam. But if you look at their their schedule over December, there's not a game in which you're like 
super, super worried that they can't win until maybe December 30th against Golden State. So uh, Lillard's going to have a chance to come right back in and play the hero hero role a little bit after Saturday they get four games at home. So hopefully we can talk about them in a more positive way after this. Yeah, and look, there are going to be ups and downs with this team. There always were going to be, right? I mean, again, even at 10 and 4, look at all the, I mean, we were talking about turnovers. We were talking about very close games that they had to come back and win. And if you play with fire enough, you're going to get burned, uh, which also has happened here. Like there have been a few demonstrative losses, but a lot of them have been very, very close. And you will win some like that and you'll lose some like that. And when they were 10 and 4, they won a lot. Of late, they've lost a lot of those games, but it's not like they were pristine and perfect and set to go as world champions before, and now they're terrible. Really, what we're seeing is just a flip side of what they were, turned up to 11 by the loss of their superstar. I agree with that. Absolutely. It's a regression of the mean. Uh, they're still the NBA's best team in terms of, of three-point games at 5-1, and one. but what we're seeing now is a team that you know they get close and they, they, they need that closer. And I kind of compare it to like in football, you got a, a quarterback in the huddle. You know, you're more calm when you've got your leader that out there with you, and you know he's going to make big plays. And without Lillard, you know, you can see it in the numbers. You've seen it in, in the Clippers game. But this year, you look at the stats. They're 7-4 and four with Lillard, 4-7 and seven without him. And in the fourth quarter, they they uh, they average 24.7 points per game. With him, they, they average uh, 27.5. And the difference between that is the number six spot and the number 28 spot. So it's, it's a huge difference, huge mental makeup uh, difference have a little bit out there versus when he's not. Yeah. Now, we're going to get to some systemic reasons why this is happening. But before we do that entirely, are there any losses that really hurt you that you thought, okay, even with all the asterisks and caveats, that this should not have been a loss or should not have been a loss like that? Oh, my goodness. It's got to be the Clippers game. I think with, with Brooklyn, you can you can see the, the reasons why that happened that way with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's a situation where they've got the two best players on the floor. Same with the Lakers. You got LeBron and Anthony Davis. But the Clippers game, there's no Kawhi Leonard. There's no Paul George. There's no John Wall. And and the Blazers have an 18-point lead. And, and with the commentary, they've got Damian Little doing interviews. They've got uh, Chris Haynes talking about Jeremy Grant's all-star, uh, all-star aspirations and whatnot. So it would have been a perfect opportunity for them to get on a national stage and kind of showcase themselves. And then it just got it got ruined by the ex-Blazers. You know, Nicholas Batum. Robert Covington, Norman Powell, and that was a, a a tough game to swallow. Just knowing how close they had come and how well Grant and Simons had played, um, so that's I think bar none the, the most difficult game to to kind of swallow at this point. I think you alluded to that as well. Yeah, I mean that one certainly you underline. That's probably the sore thumb sticking out for me. Losing the way they did to the Utah Jazz was a little difficult because uh, I think Utah handled them pretty well. And the game was close. It was a five-point finish, but you, you felt like Utah was in control of that game, and they really shouldn't have been, especially since the Blazers were at home. And also, I mean, I'll nitpick a little bit with the Lakers. Yeah, they had the two best players and their big guys, which the Blazers have trouble defending, but it's the Lakers. I mean, they stink. They fall apart. Uh, we literally made them into cheerleaders for each other. I mean, people were high-fiving Russell Westbrook, for God's sake. And to to lose that convincingly that early to the Lakers was a little bit much. But I, I agree with you. Probably the Clippers' loss was the worst just because of the makeup. Now, let's let's take a look, too. I want to point out something. You said the Brooklyn game. A sneaking suspicion. I want to ask you about this. I, I've had a sneaking suspicion over the last week, especially, that 
Portland zone is starting to get solved. Uh, Kevin Durant obviously can beat any defense anytime, but he, Seth Curry, to some extent Kyrie as well, were simply going to spots on the floor. They weren't even playing against defenders at, at certain point. Like you would literally see Durant go, and it was like watching them play ar- around the world. He's got, he gets to the corner of the free throw line, and he puts in, a, he raises for a jumper and puts it in. He knows that nobody's going to be there because it's right in the middle of the zone, and Portland has to make a decision, and they're a little slow getting there. Kyrie Irving, some other people have also driven baseline against the zone. And then, of course, we saw Steph, Steph Curry beat it with threes, which is another valid way. Basically, if an opposing team has a big man, a mid-range jump shooter, or someone who can drive like not straight, but drive, you know, drive from an angle or the baseline, uh, Portland is getting beat now. And those are classic ways to take on the zone. And it feels like the league is catching up. Have you noticed that at all? I think so. I think so. It definitely worked a lot better earlier in the year. But on, at the same time, I, I've never looked at the zone defense as something that you could just... I don't know, you can stop an offense with completely. It's one of those things where you want to try to stop their rhythm, keep them guessing, things like that. Uh, but with superstar players, you know, they can make their they're zone-proof, they're man-proof. They just manage to, to overcome everything. Um, and I think that we, we saw it work, you know, in the October game against Sacramento. But in the postseason, you roll that out against Golden State, I think you're going to see it kind of get exploited. So uh, I, to that point, I don't think the Blazers have defended with the same intensity and, and the same aggression that they did. And part of that could be, you know, schedule-based. Chelsea talked a little bit about it in his press conference. Um, he was saying they had to have legs. So if they get in a situation where they can they can move around a little bit more, play a little bit more cohesive, then it could work out better. But as far as the zone goes, I don't think that it's something that you can use to – you can't just put it out there and think it's going to get a stop every time. Well, and to your point, too, now these numbers are a couple games old, but they're still close enough. Uh, the Blazers, last I checked, were 19th in defes- de- defensive efficiency. I almost said deficient, but it's yes, they're deficient as well. Yeah, <laughs> but 19th in defensive efficiency at the beginning of the week. They they just gave up 118 and 128 to both LA teams, so they're going to be worse at this point. Three weeks ago, they were 10th in defensive efficiency. So they are they have dropped precipitously. Uh, same with opposing field goal percentage, went from 10th to 19th, and that got worse over the week. Uh, you're seeing some defensive indicators, some bellwethers start to sink pretty significantly in a relatively short span. Well, I mean, the season is young, so no span is short. But, you know, within three weeks, you had that high, and now it's coming to the low end of mediocre with this defense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I I was going to say, I love the piece you did on Anthony Simons, but when you go back and look at it, it's one of those things that you can sort of notice that teams, they're they're able to kind of target him a little bit. And that was a big thing in that that Clippers game. I looked at the numbers, and they were, uh, they took, 25 shots just on Anthony Simons individually in that game, 14 of them. So, um, and could go back to the point about Chelsea saying they need to have lays on defense because since Lillard's been out over the last seven games, there's only been one player in the league averaging up to 40 minutes per game, and that player is Simons. So, the things he's doing on offense is, is he's, he's taking on a big load, kind of Lillard like the way he's taking on the offensive load. So, um, that's been one thing that I've noticed. They've targeted him a little bit more. And the Blazers as a whole just haven't been as as cohesive as you know we we thought they would be at this point in the year so far. Yeah, and that that's exactly correct. I pointed that out in the Clippers recap, and you know the question is what can you expect from Simons right now? I mean, he's not a perfect player. He's not expected to be, 
But you know what? He's going out and averaging 26 points a game. That's a lot. If the Blazers have to make up for something around him, they should be able to do that. And if they can't do that, there's an issue. And by the way, there's an issue because that defensively is not necessarily going to be solved when Lillard comes back, which, of course, is what people are saying. Oh, this looks like same old, same old. I'm not entirely convinced it is, but it very well could be. My point is, if that's true, that's not Anthony Simon's fault, right? He is who he is, and he's actually playing as one of the best versions of who he is. He's just not a defensive stopper, and other teams are starting to recognize that. Absolutely. And I think that you are in trouble if you're expecting Damian Lillard to come back in and, and be the, the remedy for this defense. But I think to a bigger to a bigger idea, I think that this team was a little bit better. Or we maybe maybe overestimated them a little bit in terms of those close games they won earlier in the year. And you look at the numbers, uh, the coolest stat to me was the fact that they were saying that uh, the Blazers had hit four game winners. And none of those were by Damian Lillard. That's just not sustainable. And I think you see that with the law of averages that is just, it's tough to tough to continue to win that way. So that'll be something to watch, too, if they're winning games more on offense, more on defense, how they manage to adjust to that. Here's here's another couple of scary stats, which kind of helps explain things. First of all, the Blazers have now slowed to a crawl in pace. And if you remember, at the beginning of the year, it's not like they were the fastest team in the league, but they were, you know, in the upper 15. And uh, they were also getting a lot of fast break points. And at this point, a lot of that has dried up. They were 28th in pace last I checked. They're mediocre in fast break points, 16th, not bad, but certainly not, you know, demonstrably excellent. On the other end, though, they have now dropped to 24th in opponent fast break points allowed. And at that point, that's a defensive leak that I think that they can't afford that at least, at least you've got to get back, especially if you're playing at a slow pace, you cannot let the opponent run you. And the Blazers are allowing, you know, they're they're almost bottom five in fast break points allowed per game. That can't happen. Yeah, absolutely. It can't happen. It's, it's sort of amazing to even be able to put those two stats together, playing at a slow pace and still giving the points in transition. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what the remedy is for that, but it was something I kind of worried about because in early early November, late October, they were playing such 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 aggression, such intensity, and you just sort of wonder what they did to do that all season long. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how how Gary Payton II is able to come in and, and kind of fix that, help those adjustments. But that's I don't know. It's, it's tough to even kind of put those two stats together and see how they correlate. Like it's, it's tough. Yeah, well, and some may argue that the minutes that you mentioned play into it, like look, this team plays the starters a lot of minutes. Granted, they should be able to. They're the fifth youngest team in the league. Uh, You don't expect Yusuf Nurkic to play 48 minutes, but he doesn't. You do expect Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, Simons to some extent, uh, to be able to run pretty much a whole game. But it feels like we put some extra mileage on them early in the name of getting wins and maybe they're slowing down just a tad already. If so, that's not great. They better get some bench help right away. Yeah, they're just kind of worrisome. You look at that Clippers game, They, as a team, they only put together, what, 10 bench points? And it could get even thinner now with Nasir Little being hurt. Um, and it's just tough to think about. In that game, they only put they only put four bench players on the floor. So 
I know Billups likes to get a lot of guys in the rotation, get guys in, play with energy. Uh, but the bench is a problem, especially now with, with, with Shaden Sharp starting to slow down just a little bit. You know, the finger injury starting to bother him. So uh, it, it, that's a situation where it's kind of tough to see where they're going to get points from, too. Um, but I think Damian Lillard, his, his presence is going to help kind of just that a little bit. So we'll see how it works out. Now, one thing that I think is holding them in good stead is they are still second in the league in free throws attempted per game. And one thing that I like is in most games, they haven't defaulted to just shooting jumpers or shooting the three. They're still mostly moving the ball. Whether they move the ball or not, they're still looking to penetrate and they're still getting uh, foul shots. That is key, I think. That may be one of the last life rafts keeping them afloat. If that lessens, and, and by the way, that they're, they've got a pretty decent gap between them. I mean, that's a pretty big advantage because they don't, uh, they only allow 22 free throws per game, 22.3, and they take 25.7. Now that's down from where it was a while ago. I think their margin was like five earlier in the season, which was unholy. It's still three plus three to their side. That makes more of a difference than you think, especially if they're fatigued, especially if they're playing slow, those free throws can really uh, provide the extra points that the three-pointers don't. If they lose that advantage, if the whistles start drying up, I think this team could really be in trouble. I can see that being the case, too. Um, but like I say, everything kind of boils down to Damian Lewis return. You know, he's a guy that can still get to the line 10 or 11 times a game, and you look at the, the big scoring outbursts that he's had, a lot of that has to come with this ability to get to the line and drive whistles. I think um, you, you kind of brought it up. Josh Hart, he's a guy that can get to the line. He hasn't really played to that same level that he did earlier in the season. Um, but just getting guys back into rhythm, getting them into flow, I think it's going to be very important how this goes. I'm kind of looking at the other side of that in terms of just their their inability to defend without fouling. That's been an issue for them. I think the turnovers have still been an issue. Um, so those two stats, I think, are going to collide all season long. But I think having that identity, playing more aggressively, not taking as many threes, and whatnot, I think it gives them a better chance to compete against the top-level teams because you know you've got different ways you can win. And then that, that'll be something to watch for going forward, too. Yeah. And again, you underlined it, how how much difference Lillard makes. Uh, fourth quarter points, which are down. Uh, free throws, uh, which they need. Uh, it's he, he does a lot of stuff. And also, by the way, Let's Anthony Simons catch and shoot instead of have to ISO in the final plays. Yeah. So there's there's a lot that he does. Now, I mean, here's some good news: the Blazers are now 24th in the league in turnovers per play, which you think, well, that's bad. But they were dead last; they were 30th <laughs> three weeks ago. So, and by the way, these are all averages. So moving from 30th to 24th in three weeks actually means that you've done better than that in that three-week span. You've pulled up your horrible average by doing better. Uh, look, I think that's a sign of progress, and I don't notice the turnovers now as much as I was earlier. That's a good sign. Yeah, I think I would agree with that, too. Especially earlier in the year, they were, were terrible. The ball was just, I don't want to get too deep into that, but they were they, they were trying to do a little bit too much with it. The home run players you brought up before. And that was a, they did a little bit of that in that Clippers game. I thought they played against them a little bit, especially in that second quarter when they were making a run and they could have put that game away. Um, but yeah, definitely not as big a deal as it once was. 
And I think that's just the chemistry of seeing guys play with each other. So I would I would say that that's one of those things kind of trending upwards. Um and just guys knowing their role and 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 kind of sort of easing into the easing into the system, easing into their roles and whatnot. So so over this span, what players have you noticed? I mean, we can't go through every single one, but what have you noticed about who that's been different, you know, good or bad? Um, I think the, the biggest thing has been probably Jeremy Grant. Um, I, it's probably an easy answer, but he, he'd always kind of show what he could do versatile-wise and, and, and just being able to do whatever you need him to do on the floor. But just the way he's been able to up his aggression and intensity and even his efficiency as a scorer, uh, has, has, has really has really been a great thing to see. And they talked a little bit about it. He's, he's trying to get his first all-star appearance, and he's playing like it. You know, you're kind of worried about this team being competitive with a little bit. And, you know, the 7 definitely anything <laughs> to brag about, but they've been competitive in a couple of these games. And I think the big thing you see is that first quarter, second quarter, they're able to compete, and you see in the second half, the game starts to drift away from them a little bit. But just what Grant's doing to try to keep them afloat, I thought it's it's been great. He had a sequence against the Clippers uh, a few days ago where he he, he sort of it was a four play sequence where he had a block, a dunk, a three pointer, and like another block, something like that. And it was just it's great to see him being able to put all that together um, on his new team, twenty one games into his, his Blazers tenure. Yeah, I would echo that. I think Yusuf Nurkic has had some really good moments. I think there were times, and I I wasn't saying this earlier in the season, but I was times where I was going, <laughs> when's Billups going to get Nurk back in? because they need him right now. And part of it is rebounding, but really I think he's doing a better job defensively in the middle. Now, I have noticed that he is no longer chasing. Uh that on screens, he will he will drop back, which saves wear and tear on him and also protects the middle better. I think when he was running around the court and when you saw him out at the three-point arc, that was just terrible. Uh but it looks like he and Billups have figured that out and he's icing back into the lane more. I think that plays to his strengths. It helps with rebounding. I get that this might also be one of the reasons why the defense is isn't doing quite so well. But you know, I think honestly most of the damage that I've seen opposing opponents cause has been on straight penetration versus a guard rather than screen and roll with Nurk icing back and then they get past Nurk. So, I mean, bravo to him. I think he's had some nice offensive moments as well. And I think they, they are doing less of throwing it into the post to him unless he's terribly outsized over his opponent, then he can score easily, but they're using him more in an offensive context where he can succeed. And most importantly, where he doesn't slow the offense down or turn the ball over. So I, I think this has actually been a decent streak for Nurk. I agree with that. And listening to you talk about the straight line, I, I just getting flashbacks from Norman Powell, just taking over that fourth quarter. Uh, but I think Nurk just as a whole definitely has toned down a little bit. And I don't think that, that that's necessarily a bad thing because you want to see this team uh, adjusting different things, trying out different things, tinkering with different things in, in November and December as opposed to later in the year. So for them to be able to see that now, I think is is a welcome sign. And as far as Nurkic goes, I love the fact that he's been able to uh, make defenses pay on the other end too. His three-point shot has been, has been great. Over the last month, he, he came into this week shooting 48%. So... Uh, it's been great to see him just continue to try to elevate his game and, and add different different things to his game. He's not the perfect center for sure, but um, these little these little adjustments I think have been key. Justice Winslow, I mean, how he stepped into the starting lineup over Shaden Sharp. How do you feel that he's done? Yeah, great game against the Lakers. I'll say that for sure. Um, 
I don't know. Sometimes he's one of those guys where he, he can go out there and score four or five points. And you won't notice his entire impact unless you, you know, really, really analyze it. So, um, statistically, the numbers maybe won't speak to that, but I think he's played pretty well for what we've kind of expected from him. Uh, I know Sharps has some trouble with the finger and whatnot, so he, he him being able to step in is being key. Um, but you know, it's, it's not one of those things where you're going to see a night tonight. I think with Winslow, so. Yeah, he doesn't really good, but not not anything world beating at this point. Yeah, he doesn't really belong in the starting lineup. I think. I mean, Sharp might not either, but Winslow yeah. does so many things well. But I think he does them well in context, in limited minutes against second units. I'm good with all that. It's almost like sometimes I think he tries to do too much, and maybe it's not him trying to do too much. The position demands too much when he has to start. And he has to defend really elite players. And he also has to be the playmaker. And also he needs to hit uh, a catch and shoot three because he's the only person open. All right. Well, you know, that's that's a lot. So I, I, I like I like his skill set coming off the bench. I just think he might be a little overmatched in the starting lineup. I can see that being the case, yeah. I think one thing that, that I didn't bring up on the first time was that he's rebounded the ball extremely well. Uh, last four games, he's had 11 rebounds, seven rebounds, 13 rebounds, and five rebounds. So he's he's, he's everybody got a really nice clip. Um, I'm really happy, really excited to see how it's going to work out with Lillard when he gets back in there too. You know, we said that a lot, but just because Winslow allows them to have a different dimension, having a guy that can be played point forward, uh, bring a little bit more off ball, bring Simon's more off ball. So having him out there, I think, is a, is a great luxury to have, especially if you, you can actually control the minutes, control the environment. It's it's a lot better to kind of deal with. Um, but all in all, I think that he's played exceptionally well over the last, you know, four or five games. Um, so can't really complain too much about him. I think that, you know, if you're coming into this expecting him to be the guy that that, that saves you, I think you're in trouble. But he's he's played well. I say he's played well. Shaden Sharp has been slumping a little bit in the last week. But uh, how do you feel like he's holding up? Um, I would say with Shaden Sharp, it's very similar to the way he's, you know, what I'm saying they hit their rookie wall this time of the year. Um, and I think that a lot of his issues, I think, have to deal with more of, more of the finger issue. Like I said, the fracture finger, that's a hard thing to deal with, especially on a, on a shooting finger like that. Um, I think the next step in, in Sharp's elevation is going to be how he impacts the game when that shot's not falling. You know what I'm saying? We, we've, heard the, we've heard the comparisons to the, the Grant Hill, the Tracy McGrady, and the Brandon Roy. And one thing about those guys, they were able to do other things when the shot wasn't falling. So how he facilitates, how he rebounds, how he defends, just different things like that that he can do to control the game and continue to let people know that, you know, I'm here even if I can't score the ball. So uh, the minutes have been a little bit more inconsistent than they were earlier in the year. He was getting 20, 25 minutes. Now he's getting, you know, 15 or so. Um, but uh, I think that we'll look back on this and we'll say, yeah, he was just going through growing pains. It's not something that I'm too concerned about when it comes to him. That dunk against the Lakers was oh. fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> he, like, just served notice to everybody. The other thing I notice is that no matter what, he's real confident taking his shot, and it, it looks pretty good. Uh, also, there was a little subtle play, and it was against the Lakers, I believe. They all blur together after a while. But Jeremy Grant had the ball, and he was defended pretty well. And, you know, Jeremy Grant is, if not the primary scorer on this team, he's right there with Anthony Simons right now. So he's like, you know, he's the king, right? Well, he had the ball. He was defended pretty well. And without any hesitation, he passed it to Sharp who was near the top of the key, a little bit below. And Sharp rose and hit the shot in one smooth motion. Jeremy Grant knew what Sharp should have done. Sharp knew what Sharp was doing. Grant 
was it was just a classic i'm i'm too defended i got to get rid of this oh damn there you are you're going to hit this take the ball and i think that kind of it's less about that one shot than it is about the dynamic when you have somebody who's a veteran like Jeremy Grant and really playing as well as Jeremy Grant is right now and Jeremy Grant has every right to take every shot he wants and he's going no it's you i see you and i know you're going to hit it that's a that's a huge like thumbs up for a rookie yeah, it's got to be a, a really big confidence booster. And I love this shot to Grant, too. He, he definitely earned that right to take the shots he wants. And I think that's been what's really cool about it is that we, we haven't really been able to say too much, too, too many bad things about him. You know, with every other star that the Blazers have right now, and I call them a star just because, you know, they're the only duo, only, only team in the league with uh, three players averaging 20 points a game right now. Um, but with Grant, everything that's been said has been positive. Right? You're talking about offense, defense. I think that his, his, his passing has been... Uh, it's been passable, I guess this is a word. Um, but everything you kind of say about Grant right now has been has been positive. So uh, I think that's a great shout to him. Yeah. So as we close out here, the Blazers get a break. I mean, they've been going pretty consistently for the last couple of weeks and all these losses. They do get a tough back-to-back. They play at Utah on Saturday. And they host Indiana on Sunday. Uh, at least they're both evening games, so there's that. They get a full day's rest. But then after that, they're off until Thursday. Now, Dame is supposed to be back this weekend. That'll be good. But the whole team also gets some rest, one of those extended breaks. First of all, uh, how do you think they'll do against Utah and Indiana? And second of all, how important is this rest? I, I Basically, I think they're going to, and I hate to say this, I think that the losing streak contains one more game. In Utah, and then when they get to Indiana, I think the locker room is going to be a lot different having Lillard back there. You know, they said he's the the most expensive assistant coach right now, <laughs> but uh, having him back in the in the lineup and actually playing, I think it's going to be a huge boost. They'll be back at home for four straight against uh, is it Indiana, Denver, and then two games against uh, Minnesota. But I think that the to answer your first question, I think that they're going to be a get off to a nice winning streak over the next couple of weeks. Um, but the way the way the NBA is going right now, there's no such thing as an easy game. Like, maybe you would have penciled uh, San Antonio as an easy one, but, you know, you saw how that worked out last time. They were down six in the fourth quarter, so it's, it's, it's going to be tough. But just having Lily back in the lineup, and maybe I'm overestimating this, but I think it's going to be a huge, huge, uh, huge addition because after that uh, home game against Indiana, they get four more days off. So they play December 4th and then December 8th. So having all these days off to kind of put their schemes back in the, back in the fold, get guys back ready, they're going to be huge. You know, you can't really underestimate four days off. So I think it's going to be big for them. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're number four in the West in the next couple of weeks. With Indiana, Benedict Matherin comes into town, yeah. candidate for Rookie of the Year. If I'm Chauncey, I, I point him out to Shaden Sharp and I say, get him. <laughs> That's, I'm being a little <laughs> facetious there, but not entirely. It's like, okay, you want a measuring stick? Uh, go. And, and let's see what you can do. And that, uh, that'll that be fascinating to see. Oh, one last question here. Um News that the NBA might pick up an in-season tournament next year. How do you feel about that whole thing? I mean, do you think they need an in-season tournament? Do you think it will add anything? Is it fun? Or uh, what's your thoughts? Um, I think the basketball fan in me is, is I, I love it. You know, I'm always, I'm always, you know, for more basketball, whatever it is. And uh, I think it would definitely be something for the Blazers to kind of, kind of, you know, flex their muscles in. They're a team that they were when the, when the play-in tournament was announced. 
they were in it every single year. Like it was always fighting for one of those last playoff spots. So when you're not one of those teams that's that's a, a bona fide, you know, number one team when you're in your conference, I think you can benefit from something like that. So uh, I, I've got nothing negative to say about it. I'm interested to see how it, how it plays out in terms of, you know, incentivizing players, but I'd love to see it. Yeah, I, I wonder how they're going to make it equitable with the qualifying games and stuff. And, of course, the first 10 games is, or first month of the season is wacky anyway. I don't know. I'm not a fan, but I'm old school kind of. But also, like, look, if you're Hulk Hogan and you're going after the world heavyweight belt and someone dangles a cruiserweight belt in front of you, you're going like, no, that's okay. You you take that. Uh, I'm going to <laughs> wrestle for the, the big gold one, right? And I feel the same way. I mean, if the Blazers won the in-season tournament, it's just it's just more fodder for it's hot air. Like, uh, who cares? It doesn't matter. I, I, I don't care. I'd rather just see him play the games. But I suppose if it adds some level of excitement, so be it. I'm just... I don't know. I'm just a curmudgeon at this point. I'm with you. I'm with you now that you say that because when you think about it, um, two or three years ago, maybe three or four years ago, Damian Lillard won the uh, Orlando Bubble MVP, and I haven't heard anybody ever bring that up in in in, in most of his case for anything. Oh yeah, he's the so, Bubble MVP man. Like like if you bring that, if you have to bring that up, it's like you're you waving a red flag. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's over. Yeah. Uh, it's like showing up to a job interview with your third grade report card. Well, yeah, okay, I'm glad, but what have you done that matters lately? All right, any last thoughts in our last minute or so here? Uh, anything that we missed? Uh, nothing too much. Just hoping we can get a winner streak going around here. It, it's, it's always it's always a pleasure, but it's a lot more fun when you, when you can talk about some wins and whatnot. So. It's going to be happier, and they're going to get a winning streak going on the road yeah. here. Uh, they got a six-game swing, but they got Oklahoma City and Houston and stuff like that, so that ought to be fun. All right. Well, for Marlo Ferguson, I am Dave Deckard. We will see you again next week when, hopefully, the Blazers will be at least 500, if not above. 